It's beautiful. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Esther. Afternoon, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Lovely uh, to have you uh, with you, with we, with you, with us. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is really, but at least we're here. And well done for making it through the mist and the fog and um, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, really, really good welcome. So um, tonight it's like New Year's Eve, Tay. That's what it is. It's New Year's Eve for the church. And that's what it's like in the church New Year's Eve, just this, all right, yeah. So it's kind of like New Year's Eve. So Esther was saying, you know, next week is the new year and it goes wild for Advent. But it's New Year's Eve and at every New Year's Eve, you know what festival it is, don't you? You know what we all look at, don't you? I'm sure you do. But just as a reminder, it's Christ the King. It's Christ the King this afternoon. So that's what we're going uh, to look at because of New Year's Eve. To help us kind of get uh, in that frame of thought. So uh, Christmas is here, isn't it? I mean, I know it's not tech, but it kind of is, isn't it? Does it feel, are you, any humbugs here or are you all feeling ready for Christmas? Are you like, enjoy the Christmas vibe? Yeah, mixed kind of, yeah, yeah. Some of you aren't sure yet. You just want to keep it at arm's length. So, but just pretend you like Christmas for a minute. So does anybody here have, like, do you have like your favorite film or your favorite thing that you like to do for Christmas? You have that kind of all like, you know, favorite film, Vicky? Home Alone, Home Alone. Anyone else? Anyone else? Die Hard, Die Hard. Yes, so that got a. Is that a Christmas film? That's a debate. Let's let's talk about it after. Let's. <laughs> the, uh, any Elf fans here? Any Elf fans? Yeah, if you've not seen Elf, it's just a beautiful little Christmas. That's all I wanted to share this afternoon. So, uh, film top sets. But um, one of the, one of my favourite kind of Christmas stories, other than the Bible, uh, Christmas stories is uh, the Charles Dickens ones, uh, the Christmas Carol. You know, we got and uh, uh, we love it so much. We're having it here Wednesday, thirteenth. Tickets are five pounds available from Melissa. And um, just sort of mention that again. But uh, we are having it. And one of the amazing things about it, it's just a fantastic, fantastic story. Now, I'm on. When I get into, I like reading. I, that's my confession. I'm not very good at it, I'm dyslexic, but I love reading. And so I'm going through a bit of a, this sounds kind of posher than it is, a Charles Dickens phase. As you do, yeah, yeah, I'm going through a Charles Dickens phase. So I reread Oliver Twist, anyone, any, love Oliver Twist, it's fantastic. And then I'm trying to read Hard Times with a bit of help from an audio book, just because there's some words I don't quite know how to pronounce, and that kind of help, I listen to it and read it at the same time. And uh, the amazing thing about Charles Dickens, you may not know, this does relate to Jesus, on, it does, hang in there, uh, is this, is that Charles Dickens' books aren't just like these lovely, very long kind of note-worded kind of descriptive um, literature. They are actually little kind of pockets of revolution. So Charles Dickens was really wanted to make a comment on Victorian society. And, you know, he was based in London where it was always misty. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of poverty and pain and difficulty around. So he actually, he was really trying to change society. It doesn't feel so different now. So he lived in an era, you wouldn't believe this was happening in Victorian England. People who had a lot of money were getting more of it. I know, amazing, is it? And people who didn't have any got less of it. So yeah, it's just a wild times. It never happened these days. So, so he was kind of right, the rich were getting, so he's writing all these stories. So it's really interesting though, once you understand a bit more about the context of Charles Dickens and what he's writing, it's like, gosh, that's really interesting. He's quite a little character, this Charlie Chap, wasn't he? Charlie Chap is, is needs to know. So if you want to know, find out a bit more, um, any of you can't sleep? Any of you really bad at sleeping like me? Just, uh, yeah. 
No, you're all good sleepers. You're all good sleepers. You get to do it most Sundays at four, don't you? You have a little catch-up. But, but anyway, so there's these podcasts I've been listening to. It tells you all about the context of Charles Dickens, and it's very interesting. Now, why do I tell you that? I'll tell you what that for a reason. is that Once you understand the context of what was going on at that time, suddenly like the book becomes really interesting and you kind of understand what he's trying to say it's exactly the same with the bible once you understand the context what was going on the history of it and what was going on that moment suddenly it's like gosh this is really interesting stuff this is not just like interesting and wow isn't that super natural and amazing but this is like really interesting like this is this is like really cheeky stuff this is really political stuff this is like quite revolutionary stuff this makes Charles Dickens look tame who's Charles Dickens now when you got Jesus and you start to see all these wonderful things happening and kind of come up before you so that's what we're going to do a little bit um, this afternoon looking at Christ the King I'm going to bring a reading to you bit of a familiar reading for some of us here and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the context of what's going on when John was writing and it starts to kind of build a picture of what it means to say Jesus is king. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It all makes sense doesn't it? It was with God in the beginning. Through him everything was made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not over come it next slide thank you joe we just push on to the next reading jesus was in the world and though the world was made through him the world didn't recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own didn't receive him yet to all who did receive him those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of god so the word became flesh that means god god became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or as Eugene Peterson says, he moved into the neighborhood. So we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with Father, Jesus, he has made him known. Beautiful bit of writing, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely stunning. Really, really beautiful. And here's the interesting thing. So I want you to imagine um, you're John for a minute, or that might be a bit weird. So just imagine you're John for a minute. Just just go with it. Uh, You're John, and um, you're getting a bit older now, like some of us are. You're getting a little bit older. You're you're sort of in your 80s, 90s, but you're still a spring chicken at heart. But uh, you're getting a little bit older, and you've just been leafing through these young upstarts. One's called Mark, one's called Matthew, one's called Luke. And you're reading through these, and you're thinking... What are these gospels? Yeah, they're all right, but I, you know, they, these youngsters—they don't know how to write. They don't know how to tell a yarn. They can't remember half of it. So you think to yourself, "I'm going to write one. I'm going to sort out." You know, you can have your Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I'm going to write one. So John writes his quite a few years after Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, and it's like John is like someone who fills in the details. You know, we've thought about this before. When when somebody tells a story, some people just like to get to the point. Others, not mentioning any names, like to tell absolutely everything. And you have no idea what they're going on about. But it, it, it takes up time in the conversation, doesn't it, if you're an introvert and you go with it. So, but, uh, but so John is a bit like that. He kind of fills in all these details and talks and 
talks and talks and talks. And it's a really beautiful, beautiful book. But here's the, another interesting thing about it. When he's writing it, I want you to imagine you're John. So you're picturing yourself as John you could, or whoever you want to, really. And uh, you're walking around uh, first century Israel, okay? So you're pottering around and uh, you're having a little walk. And you're not as fast as he works, you're a bit older, but you're still spring chicken. So you're walking around and, uh, and then you, you, get, you, you, you turn the corner and you get into a corner and then you see this kind of little idol, in the, on the corner, you know, like a little kind of, like a bird table, but with a little god on it. And you look at it, and you, you, you haven't got glasses, but if you had glasses, you'd be wearing them. And you look at them, and it says, Oh, Caesar is Lord. You think, Oh, yeah, right. And then you carry on. And then you turn another corner, and you see this huge temple, bigger than a cathedral, okay? The building work, I don't know how the lottery paid for it all, but bigger than a temple, bigger than a, a cathedral. And, and, and in it, you think, Oh, that looks nice. I wonder if they're worshipping God. And you think, No, I'm just going to pop in, and because. Do you know, we had 10 Spanish, 10 Spanish tourists come into our church before we started today. Thanks to Steve, who brought them in. But 10, had, what are the Spanish tourists doing? Into, anyway, they were here and they came in and had a look around. It was amazing. So you're like a Spanish tourist. John goes in, he looks at it, and he looks at that there's a big Bible verse. Well, not a Bible, a big verse on the wall, and it says this. It says, worship Caesar, for Caesar is Lord. Think fair enough, okay, got the gist. And then he goes to the market and he, fan- he fancies, what do you like to eat? Anyone like apples, bananas? What do you want? An orange? Something should have something a bit better, shouldn't they, in Israel? They, yeah, let's say they're getting an apple, whatever. And uh, so he gets out his coin and he pays with his coin, looks at his coin, and on his coin there's a picture of somebody. And it's not King Charles. Do you know who it is? You might have got, got the idea now. It's Caesar, yeah, yeah. It's Caesar. And on it, it says, Caesar is Lord, worship him. And so he pays it and he gets some change, actually. He gets a little bit of change. But on the change, that he get, there's a different picture. It's Caesar's boys are on there. One of his sons are on there. And it says, uh, I can't remember his name, but it says, because it's, it's a long name, I'm just if you look at it and you read it, it says that this little boy, his lad, his, his hair, is, is a son of God. So, because Caesar is God and he's a son of God. Now, here's the thing. John, when he wrote it, was surrounded by people claiming to be God, claiming to be divine. And in fact, Caesar got to be divine because he was voted to be divine at the Senate. That's absolutely true. So when he died, they thought, wow, he was so cool. So they voted him. They said, yes, he's divine. He's definitely a god. And they made him a god. You see, what used to happen in the Roman Empire was this. You remember they're living in this military dictatorship. And how do you hold up a dictatorship if you've not got democracy? You do it by using the God card. So they said, Christians have done it for years, they did the God card. So they said that basically Caesar is God and everybody should worship God. But how do you know he was God? Because he had so much pomp and ceremony. He had palaces, he had cathedrals, he had thrones like our bishop he had he had all sorts of uh, all sorts of things that marked him out as god he was one so they all thought yes caesar must be god he even had little idols and temples and everywhere you go you had to say caesar is lord he had all the marks of divinity he was strong he was powerful he'd conquered land he was in control he could provide bread out of nowhere he was god everybody thought and john's pottering around thinking no that's not divinity that's not divinity, strength and power and might. And Caesar was, you never saw Caesar. You only saw him on a coin or at the temple. His representation. You never saw him in the flesh because he was hanging out somewhere in Rome, you know, pottering around out there, pithering in Rome or something. You never actually saw him in the flesh. There was something different John saw in Jesus. And John writes this text knowing that as soon as he starts writing it, and saying that in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh. 
He's starting a little revolution. This is nothing on Dickens. He's starting something different. He's starting to say this, that you don't, you, you, you don't vote. You don't decide who's God. Only God is God. And he's starting to say, this is what our God looks like. Our God looks like Jesus. God looks like Jesus. But that doesn't look very impressive, really, John. Can you, can you bump him up a little bit? Can, he, can you make Jesus a little bit more powerful and, and, and do some better stuff for it? Because in John's gospel, he doesn't, he, there's very few healings and miracles. Like, he just chats all the time. You'd love them, Kate. He chats away. And, you know, like, you know, can he not do something? No, no, this is it. This is grace and this is truth walking around. And so they start on this journey. And so other people are saying, John, well, if, he, if Jesus is a king, where's his throne? Because surely every king has a throne. Every bishop has a throne. He has to have a throne. Where's his throne? Caesar's got his throne. We've seen King Charles. He's got, not Dickens, the other, our, our king. He's got, he's got a throne, hasn't he? What's his throne? So as he's writing John's gospel, he begins to talk about the throne of God. He talks about Jesus having a throne. And Jesus goes all the way through. And he says, my hour is coming and I'm going to be exalted. My hour is coming and I'm going to be exalted. My hour is coming. You're like, all right, get in the gist. Uh, and he's all the way through saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's happening, it's happening. So his disciples are like buzzing because they're thinking like, this is cool, man. Jesus is going to get his throne and we're going to be in charge. He's going to go to Jerusalem. We're on our way to Jerusalem. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. We're going to sort out Jerusalem. We're going to be in charge because secretly we all know we could all do a better job than the government, don't we? So that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, right, we're on to a winner here and they're sort of working out who's going to be the chancellor and all that sort of stuff. And so they're thinking, this is a throne, this is a throne. And they get to Jerusalem and they're ready to take over and they're ready to take over and they want to have that throne. And they discover this in John's gospel. Jesus has a throne. He is exalted. But it's the cross. It's Jesus hanging on a tree. It's vulnerability. It's, it, it's being humiliated. It's pain. It's agony. It's, it's love. It's beauty. It's care. It's depth. It's everything but what Caesar stands for. And in that moment, they're realizing to say that Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord is a million miles away from the kind of lordship and, and divineship that the Roman Empire thought was all about. They used, divine, di, they used divinity as a kind of way of legitimizing power, okay? Legitimizing power, of misusing power because, because I'm God, so therefore I can do what I want. You can't argue with that, can you really? But when John wrote his gospel, he was saying that actually when Jesus displays divinity, he displays it on the cross. He displays it with vulnerability, with love, with humility, with goodness, with, with just all the beauty that you can see in the world summed up in that one act. That non-violent way of living. That's the way Jesus it kind of exhibits his kingship and his, his lordship. So when you draw that contrast, when John begins to write that, and you draw that contrast between, putting it kind of simply, the world's view of power, you know, where you're always trying to sound, you know, more and more divine. You know, lots of blokes think they're gods, you know, in every sense of, you know, you're pushing yourself, I'm, you know, I've got power, I've got bling, I'm really, in, and you're, I'm even trying to get taller when I say that. That's a challenge, isn't it, for me? But, you know, you've got that kind of thing. Uh, but actually, it's the other way around, you see. In those days, lots of Roman empires and lots of people would, would think that you, if you lived a good life, you die, you become a god. Okay, so you become a god after it. And when in John's gospel, John makes it crystal clear 
And some people were thinking, well, Jesus became God when he was resurrected. And John's gospel writes it a completely different way. It says, no, Jesus was always God. And this is what divinity looks like. It looks like humility. It looks like flesh and blood walking around, caring, loving, and looking out for people. It's a really beautiful passage uh, that John shares. Now, here's the thing. I wasn't supposed to... That, I haven't even looked at my notes yet. So I don't quite know what I was planning to say, really. But um, let's... Uh, are we getting on on time? We're, we're, we're getting there. We're ready for coffee in a bit. So here's one, uh, a couple of other uh, things on that note. Is there another thing that's worth noting is this. So in the message translations, so the Bible's got lots of kind of different translations, yeah, different... You know, you've got King James, you've got the NIV, you've got the NRSV, you've got all, all sorts of um, things going on. And there's one called the message version, which I like, so I can read that one. And and um, uh, it's uh, translated by a chap called Eugene Peterson, who's passed away now. And he translates this, uh, some of this passage like this. He says this. The, wor- the, world, uh, the word, that's God, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You know, the Church of England's a funny little thing. If you're new to the Church of England, it's, it, it's fantastic, it's beautiful, it's frustrating. It's like any other organization, really, or any other church. It's just got some weird things to it as well. But one of the beautiful things about the Church of England is this. It's called the parish, the parish system. So the theory is this. In the whole of the UK, every area has a church, that's caring for it and praying for it and, and, and serving it. That's, that's the idea. It's a great, great idea. That, so we're the parish church for Dudley and, and so on and so forth. There's a few other uh, Dudley churches kicking around as well. So that's the idea. And the beautiful thing about it is this, is when you get licensed as a vicar or, or a rector or whatever of a church, um, in my previous life as a free church minister, I would get kind of licensed to, to, to just to be in the congregation, really, and to make it bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, which is fine, which is great. But when you get licensed as a vicar, you get licensed not just to the church, but to the parish, to life outside of the, the eight walls of the church. You get licensed to that. In other words, what we're trying to reflect is this, is that God moves into the neighborhood, moves into the neighborhood doesn't just move into the church he loves the church very much but he moves into the neighborhood and that's one of the reasons at top church we do quite a lot of various things in the week if you're not on the email get on it you'll, you'll find out with particularly on a wednesday it's quite a busy day here places are welcome and tiny town and different things but we try to reflect that god is moving into our neighborhood and so caesar never moved into anybody's neighborhood <laughs> But Christ's divinity moves into neighborhood. And the role of the church is simply to show Jesus to our neighbors, show Jesus to people around us. And isn't it a beautiful word, neighbor? I mean, it was a great TV series as well, but it's a beautiful word, isn't it, neighbor? Because it's a way of actually looking at other people who perhaps we don't always connect with and not quite sure about. But actually, Christ moves into the neighborhood and begins to help us to call one another neighbors. And that's the beauty of, of, of Christ the King. So that's our New Year's Eve party started. And, and, and that's, what we're, that's what we celebrate today across the church, across the world, that uh, Christ the King, that the Word was made flesh. And that the beauty of Jesus' divinity is such a contrast to the world around us. It's, it's absolutely stunning when you explore John's Gospel more and more. 
So we're just going to have a, a moment of prayer. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer. And then Dave's going to lead us some songs of worship, just as a little bit of space, actually, before we finish, just to reflect on the, the kingship of Jesus and the different ways that he rules in this world. So let's just be still for a moment and I'll pray. And then Dave will lead us in some songs of worship. Lord Jesus, we do stand in awe of just your, your upside-down kingdom, your whole different way of being the king of this world. Hanging on a cross, showing love and peace and gentleness. And we pray for us as a church, we pray for your world, pray for us as individuals, that we might live a life that reflects the word being made flesh. We might live that life that reflects your values in this world and not the values of Caesar. And Lord, as we enter Advent and think about Christmas and all that, may we just enter this season with your heart of the word was made flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And as we just worship together for a few more moments, Lord, may, may something of the sweetness of Jesus permeate this place. We ask this in his name. Amen.